Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. So last week at the very end, I told you how I had been invited by a guy that I worked with to go to Medford, Oregon. And he said, I'll pay for everything. I want to go up there and see my daughter. But we drive straight through, and I just need help driving. So I was like, yeah, sure. You know, why not? I've never been there. I did not realize that it was four and a half weeks of straight driving. How some of y'all do that, where you drive in a truck every single day, every day. I just, I don't see how you do it. God bless you and your rear end. And um, so anyway, we get in the car, and, and we leave from Lubbock, Texas, and we head towards Medford, Oregon. Like I said, it seemed like it was like four weeks that we drove, and we'd take turns driving about three or four hours at a time, and then you're trying to sleep in the back seat, and it's not very good. But we, we make it to Redding, California, and, and then we get up into Northern California, and we, I think we crossed over into Oregon. I, I, I'm not real sure on the logistics. It was dark. I didn't see the sign. And we get to a place called Siskiyou Pass. Well, it was raining in Northern California. It was not raining in Siskiyou Pass. It was doing about what it's doing out there. But it had rained before. And this was just nothing but ice. We are in a rear-wheel drive Cadillac. And, I mean, I, I, I was like on a colt. I had a hold of the back seat because it was, it was my friend Buddy and his wife sat in the front seat. And then me and their daughter sit in the back seat. And so I'm, I'm holding on because, I mean, we're slipping and sliding. And you know how they bank the road kind of like a, a, a NASCAR deal or something so you can hug the road? Well, we started going over one of those things, but you gotta go, you got to be going pretty fast. Well, we wasn't going pretty fast, so we're going along, and we start going, and then we slid down, and there was like a little curb or something, thank goodness, and we just landed up against that curb. And he'd run, just ice. I mean, not moving at all. And we weren't the only ones. We were, there were about 20 trucks and cars. Some of the big trucks had pulled over and they were putting their chains on, but we didn't have no chains or anything like that. And so I got out and I was like, hey, man, I've been in snow like three times, so I'm like an expert from West Texas in the snow. So I started jumping up and down on the rear end of the car and that didn't do nothing, and I tried pushing in leather-soled boots. You know, I might as well have been blowing on it or something. That didn't work. And, and so I had been out there for a long time, and, I mean, I was starting to get frostbite and on my toes and my fingers, and, you know, about 45 seconds out in weather like that will just is dangerous. So I got back in the truck, or I got back in the car, and anyway, I was sitting there, and, I, th you know, we had been driving literally... 31 hours straight, we were within one hour of Medford, Oregon. And now we're stuck at 2 o'clock in the morning in Siskiyou Pass. So we're sitting there, and I'm frustrated, I'm tired. But the real thing that I was kind of worried about was, you know, people kept coming up that deal, and they were sliding down. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, what's going to happen is somebody's going to get up there right in line with us and go and crash into us. So anyway, I was sitting there, and I was feeling frustrated. I was, you know, just like, golly, man, we've been in this car long enough, and now we're going to have to wait on a tow truck and, and all of this stuff, and I don't know what to do. And, of course, Buddy and his wife were, were older, you know, and 
I mean, I, I was a young guy, and usually, you know, there, there's, an old, there's an old saying that, that there was a, once a cowboy, and his name was Will, and he was a top hand, and he could do everything. And that's where the that's where the it used to the phrase used to be where there's a cowboy, there's a way. But now they just say where there's a will, there's a way. A lot of people don't know that, but you know that's the way I kind of looked at it, man. Well, surely we can get out of this somehow. So I'm sitting in the back seat, and I'm feeling frustrated and feeling mad, and and then I felt something else, and it wasn't gas or anything like that. Um, I'm sitting there. And I grinned. 20 minutes later, I nearly had that whole curve on their way going down. And I'll never forget, I'd be standing out there in the middle of an interstate, and I'd hear this window roll down, Cowboy, can you come help us? And so I thought I was pretty special and everything. And how I did it was simple. I was sitting there feeling frustrated, looking at my past because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle the situation. And what I felt was an old, thin Navajo saddle blanket that they had on the back seat of that Cadillac. And I pulled that thing out, and I stuck it underneath the back tire, and it gave us just enough traction to get going, and then I'd pull it out. And, I mean, it was literally that fast. I'd throw it under there, they'd drive off. I'd throw it under there, they'd drive off. I'd throw it there, they'd drive off. And I got us out first, but they're waiting over here on the side, and I'm clearing all of these people. And finally, I was like... I've had enough, and most everybody was cleared out that had asked for help and everything, so I threw my saddle blanket over, and I went back to the car, and we made it to Medford, Oregon. Here's a question, though. Have you ever let some things in your past dictate your future? You know, I thought just because of my past and not having experience that I was worthless and I couldn't do anything. You ever let your past dictate your future? Are you at a pass in your life where you feel stuck? Do you feel helpless, tired, aggravated, and frustrated? Maybe nobody even knows because you put up a real good front. You're like, hey, man, good morning. How are you doing? You got the nice truck. You've got the nice house. You got the nice horse. You got the living quartered horse trailers. But inside, you're just kind of eat up. You just feel like there's something missing. Is that the way your life is? I bet it is or it was. But what I'm trying to keep it from happening is Keep it from happening again. Are you feeling tired, frustrated, aggravated, helpless? Are you ready to get to where God wants you to be? See, we're in, we're in, a, in a series. This is the fourth week in a row that we preached about going into the promised land. And we talked about how they got right up to the promised land, and, and God says, man, I'm going to go in, and I'm going to fight for you. And they realized that there were some big old fellows in there. And so... They said, no, we're not going to go in. So they had to go back out into the desert for 40 years. And then they came back. And all of this stuff is happening as the Israelites are going into the promised land. Are you ready to get to where God wants you to be? Are you ready to enter the promised land? And I'm not necessarily talking about a physical location. But, you know, what I love about it is the promised land. A land where God fulfills His promises in your life. Have you been seeing those promises in your life? Have you been realizing them? Because God doesn't go back on His promises. A lot of times we don't accept His promises. Has your past held you back from your future? There's a story in Joshua chapter 2 where a woman didn't let her past dictate her future. And my gosh, what a bright future she had. See, in Joshua chapter 2, 
the Israelites are fixing to go in, and they send some spies to a town called Jericho. Now, these two spies creep into Jericho, and the city officials find out that there are some spies. Now, now the, the whole part of Canaan, which is the promised land, that entire place knew that there were like four million Israelites that was whooping everybody in their path. So they were well aware, and they found out, Jericho did, that there was these two spies. Well, these two spies went to a prostitute's house named Rahab. Now, um, the, the cool thing about Rahab is that, that sometimes uh, in, in, in those times, uh, the, the, the prostitute's house was the motel. That's the definition. That's the first biblical account of multitasking that we can find is when you're an innkeeper and a prostitute. So that's where they went, you know. And, and so they go in, and, and Rahab knows who they are, and, and, and she goes in and she's like, look, man, I know who you are. I know y'all are fixing to come here. And she says, I know that y'all are going to lay waste to this whole city. And I don't, want, I don't want me and my family to be caught up in it. So I'm going to hide you. So she takes them up on the roof of her Motel 6. And she puts, you know, it's just a bunch of straw and stuff up there as the roof. And she hides them in the straw. And sure enough, man, the officials start banging on her door. I said, hey, man, you got to let them, you know, we heard that there's some spies here. And, and she said, well, they, they were here, but they, they already left. But if you hurry now, they went that way. <laughs> and so anyway, and she goes, you better hurry because they got a head start on you. So they take off running trying to find these Israelite spies, and they're camped out up on, the, on the roof and everything. And so she says, hey, whenever y'all come in here to invade, please spare my family. And they said, well, because of the kindness that you've shown us, we will spare your family because you, you know, we'd be dead right now if it wasn't for you. But what you have to do is when we invade, you have to have this scarlet cord or a sash or I don't know, something like that. And you hang it in the window. And on our lives, if you do that, when we invade, nothing will happen to you or your family. And sure enough, later on, the Israelites come in. And they go in and they ransack the whole place. But Rahab and her family are the only ones that survived the sieging of Jericho. But there's some really, really interesting things that we can learn from Rahab's life that can change yours. The first thing is Rahab was really good at recognizing God's power and His promise. See, in verse 9 of Joshua chapter 2, says, and Rahab said to them, I know that he, meaning God, has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how he dried up, the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan who you completely destroyed. Isn't it funny that this lady that was not an Israelite, she was a Canaanite. Try to say that one. She was a Canaanite. I'm going to mess that up before the, before the sermon's over. Um, but she was able to see the power of God, you know, and, and she knew who he was. She was able to recognize the power and the promise of God. You know, we have to learn to recognize God's power 
in His promise. There's a Bible verse that says this right here. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Romans 1.9. Let, let me read that to you again. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Let me tell you what that means. Look around. Man, what a better spot. All you have to do is walk out and look west. Look at those Rocky Mountains, or if you're watching online, look at something around you. God's power is made known to everybody that will just open their eyes. Look at the good things God has provided for us. Nearly everything that we need is made available to either make medicine, make merriment, make kids. I mean, this is pretty good stuff here. I mean, it really is. God's power, and nobody is without excuse. I mean, it would take an absolute blind person to look around and go, well, I've never seen God nowhere. I've never seen anything in, in nature. I mean, my gosh, the birds and, and, and what came first, the chicken or the egg? We don't know. Me and my wife had an argument about that yesterday. She says, the chicken. And I said, well, where did the chicken come from? She says, God. Can't argue with that. Do you recognize God's power and promise in your life? Because he's made promises to you, but how sad is it that most people don't even understand the promises that God has made? I mean, God promised to always be there for us. God promised, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given unto you. Your clothes, your food, everything. He said, seek first and that will be given unto you. But most people are just oblivious to the power and promise of God. Rahab, a, prostitute, a Canaanite prostitute, was able to see God's power and His promise. Can you see it? The second thing is, is Rahab, about Rahab's life is she had a confession of faith. In verse 11 it says, when we heard of it, She's talking about when she, when everybody heard of what, you know, God had brought the Israelites out of Egypt and the way he did it and, you know, all of that stuff. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. Now, right here. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. I mean, that, that's a confession of faith right there. A lady that was brought up not even knowing God just because she was able to witness what God had done and been able to see what God had done for His people, the Israelites. She had a confession of faith that said, um, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. What can we learn from that? I mean, honestly. And, and this kind of may sound churchy a little bit, but, but I mean, come on. Have you confessed your faith? I mean, have you come right out and said that God is a God in heaven and on the earth below? That, that is so important because the Bible in Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess your, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, 
you will be saved. Oh, wait a minute. Don't we have to quit doing this and quit doing that and quit doing this? And don't we have this checklist? And don't we have to hand out Bible tracts and shave our heads and cover our heads and, and this and that and that? No. The Bible says right there, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You hear me say that when we baptize people. Do you confess with your mouth right now that Jesus is Lord? It's that confession that Jesus is our Lord and that God raised Him from the dead. The baptism part is just symbolic. It's the confessing of our faith in an almighty God that saves us. What can we learn from Rahab's life that can change yours? I want you to start looking and being able to recognize God's power and His promise in your life. And I want you to start confessing your faith. Maybe you start out by, by just, maybe your spouse. I mean, have you looked at your spouse or your girlfriend or anybody and said, you know what, I just want you to know that I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and that my God raised Him from the dead. I mean, you don't have to necessarily say those words. But words have power, not because the power comes from us, but because of the confession of the faith in what God has done has power in our lives. The third thing that Rahab's life can teach us is that she sought and found kindness. You know, I had a filly that we, we got, and, and I won't go into how we got her, but I, I hadn't started working with her yet. And when we loaded her in the trailer... That was the first time she had ever been within a quarter of a mile of a human being. I mean, this thing, this chick was wild as wild can get. I mean, she'd pin her ears, not, not because she was mean, she was just scared. I mean, she'd never been this close to a human before, and so we got her there, and we uh, put her in a pen, got her settled down, got her introduced to the other horses and everything, and then she... We turned her out in the pasture and stuff like that, and everything was going good, but boy, she did not want you close to her at all. And then one day I came home, and she was standing at the gate, just looking towards the house. None of the other horses were around, and I thought, that's strange. So I kind of went walking out there, expecting her just to throw her tail up and run off, you know. But as I got out there, she just stood there. I got closer. She just stood there. I got closer, she just stood there, and I got all the way up to her. I didn't try to pet her or anything, she just stood there. And I looked, and she had a piece of barbed wire wrapped around her back hawk, and she had pulled so hard that it had just like constricted. And how she was able to do it, I have no idea, but it was nearly like half-hitched. And so here's a horse that has never been touched, and that I need to get the barbed wire off, but she's standing right there. And believe it or not, I called my buddy, and I said, hey, can you come down here and help me? He's like, sure, what's going on? I said, that Philly's got some barbed wire wrapped around her leg. I don't know where she got it. He's like, yeah, I'll be down there in a minute. We were able to halter that horse. She stood there, and I reached down there and uh, picked up her back leg and cut that wire off of her. And I took it off, and then... We undid the, she was okay. She really wasn't cut or anything like that. Undid the halter, and she stood there for a minute. And then she turned around, and she walked off and went back into the pasture. That was a great illustration of what Rahab did. See, that horse kind of instinctively knew where to seek kindness and help. 
And that's what Rahab did. It says in verse 12, she says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. And then, it, and then she kind of goes on, and at the end of verse 13, she says that you will save us from death. She, know, she knew where to look. She knew where to look for kindness and safety. And it wasn't really from the Israelites, but it was from their God. Do you know where to seek comfort and safety and kindness? See, a lot of people, man, and, and you know what? I'm just going to say it. I've been here too. I mean, a lot of us have looked in a silver can for comfort instead of just a, maybe a merriment night, but we've looked for comfort. What we've looked, we've looked for, for comfort and kindness in a childproof bottle with a bunch of little pills in it. We've looked for safety and comfort on the internet at things that we probably shouldn't look at. We, we've sought safety and comfort by, by just vegging out on the TV or, or arguing and fighting and, and all of this stuff. But the only time you will seek true kindness and safety is by recognizing where it comes from and turning to God. Recognize God's power and promise. Confess your faith. Seek, and you shall find kindness. The Lord shows kindness to those who come. In Titus 3, 4, and 6, or Titus 3, 4 through 6, it says this, But when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, listen to this, But when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. That, those three verses right there, can absolutely change your life because that is the gospel message. That is the good news. But when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us. Not because of anything good that you did or can do or will do. Your good deeds are like worthless rags to the Lord. Biblical. Look it up. He was, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. You are saved just because God loves you and because you confess your faith in Him. He gives us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. And He generously, generously... He doesn't just like, okay, here, I'm going to throw you a bone. He doesn't do that. He generously pours out His Spirit upon us through His Son. The fourth thing that we can learn from Rahab's life is that we are spared from the coming judgment. Now, this is in chapter 2, and then you can kind of go and, and, and the end of chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, it talks about everything that the Israelites are going to do before they get into Jericho. And in chapter 6, starting in verse 22, says this, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside of the camp of Israel. And then they went in and opened up a can and no one walked out alive except a prostitute and her family. She was spared from the coming judgment because of her faith, because she put her faith in action, 
because she recognized God's power and because she knew where to seek and find kindness. Only by coming to God now can we be spared from the coming judgment to come. In John 5, 24, listen to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. We've all had that little thought in our head. What happens when we die? You know what's going to happen when a believer dies? Somebody that has recognized God's power. Somebody that has confessed their faith that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for us so that we may live. What's going to happen when we die? Jesus himself says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him, God, who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's it. When a believer dies, he doesn't go into judgment. He goes into God's place of, of waiting for the new heaven and the new earth. There's nothing to be afraid of. There will be. The only judgment that we will have, is a, a believer will have, is the judgment of reward. See, when you die, there's one qualification. You get into heaven if you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you don't, you get put in the shipping pen. You become a coal. And God does everything he can while you're alive to try to explain that to you. He sent his son. He sends preachers. He sends other Christians. He sends missionaries. He sends everything to say, don't worry about all that religious stuff and just depend on me. Spared from the coming judgment. And the fifth thing, and the last thing that we can learn from Rahab's life, a prostitute, a Canaanite prostitute, is that she found a place among God's people. In verse, chapter 6, verse 25. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Here's a Canaanite, not even one of God's chosen people. And she's a prostitute. And she's the only one that was spared and found favor in God's eyes. And she lives as one of God's people today. How many times have we thought, you know what, our past, man, it, it's just, it's too sordid. God won't take me because of everything that I've done in my life. Bull, there is nothing that you have ever, ever done that the power of Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross cannot overcome. Find a place among people. What can we learn from that? You know what? If you don't hear, if you, if you've just been, if this has just sounded like blah, 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 Philly, you know, listen to this, please. God wants you. He absolutely wants you. God absolutely loves you. In 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord isn't slow to keep his promises. Some think of slowness, but he is patient towards you. Right here. Not wanting anyone to perish but all to change their hearts and lives. His desire is that none of us shall perish. He's pleading and he's patient and he paved the way so that you may have eternal life, but not just eternal life, so that you can have all of the great stuff that God has promised us. Peace, happiness, prosperity, success. And, and we're not talking about those things in terms of worldly things, but in terms of, of, of eternal things. God wants you. We've been talking about this series, Into the Promised Land, for this right here. We are using God's promises. We want to recognize God's promises and use those promises 
to become everything that he wants you to be. Notice I didn't say everything you want to be because we really don't know what will make us happy. We do not know what will fulfill us if left to our own merits. But when you give your life to God, you'll still go gather cattle tomorrow. You'll still, you know, go to your job. But you'll find new purpose. You'll find new meaning. What did we learn from Rahab's life and God's promises? She was the first Gentile. That means anybody that's not a Jew. She was the first Gentile convert, paving the way and proving that God will accept anyone. Rahab was saved because of her faith, and that is the same way it is today. We also learned that true faith, there's action in it. Rahab knew there was only one that could save her, and that was the God of the Israelites. And Rahab's faith enabled her to turn away from her sinful life and gain so much more. Don't you want that? You know, we, we, we look, sin is always beautiful. Sin is never ugly. Sin is always beautiful. Turn away from that and you'll find so much more. The result of a relationship with God through his son is this right here. God's promises fulfilled in your life. God's promise of kindness. God's promise of safety. And God's promise of eternal life. Have you thought that your past was too sordid to have a relationship with God? I want you to think about this right here. Rahab ended up marrying one of the spies that she hid on her roof. And his name was Salmon. S-A-L-M-O-N. Salmon. If you're one of these people that name your kids biblical names, please don't name your kids Salmon. I'm just saying, I mean, there's some really cool ones out there. You know, Jericho, and that's cool. Gideon, that's cool. Samson is double cool. Do not name your kids Salmon, okay? But Rahab ended up marrying one of these spies, and his name was Salmon. Salmon. Maybe we'll make it sound more professional. Salmon. It sounds like something off Lord of the Rings, doesn't it, Sean? Salmon. <laughs> Listen to this. God, uh, Rahab ended up marrying a fellow named Salmon. They had a son. Now, Salmon was, a, was pretty well-to-do in the Israelite. I mean, he was chosen as one of the spies out of these like four million people. He was uppity-uppity. I mean, very prominent, influential. He marries this prostitute, and they have a son whose name is Boaz. Now, if, you, if you're new to the Bible, you can go back and, and read the story of Ruth, who is, a, who is a not, she's a Gentile also, she was not an Israelite, but she was the daughter-in-law of an Israelite, and all this stuff happened, and uh, she decided to follow Naomi, her mother-in-law. She, Ruth left her people and went with Naomi back to the Promised Land, and all of this stuff and they were starving to death. Every, all the men had died in their family. And Ruth or Naomi asked a very prominent member of the Israelite community named Boaz to marry a girl named Ruth. And he did. Boaz had a famous wife named Ruth, who was also a Canaanite, just like Rahab. Now, she wasn't a prostitute, but she wasn't an Israelite. They had a son. And his, their son's name was Obed. Please do not name your kids Obed either. That's just, it's weird. But Obed also had a son, and his name was Jesse. Okay? So Ruth marries, I mean, uh, Rahab marries Salmon. They have a son named Boaz. He marries a lady named Ruth. Him and Ruth have a son named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse, and Jesse has a lot of sons. 
And one of those sons' name was David, who ended up being the second king of Israel and the greatest king that ever lived. And a prophecy was made that said the Messiah would come out of the genealogy of David. So don't tell me that your past has anything to do with the future that was promised. Who would have known that a Canaanite prostitute would not only be saved by God, but the Messiah himself would happen out of her lineage. See, God's got something just like that in store for you. Maybe not identical because the Messiah has already come. Now, he's coming back. But he's got something that special planned for every single one of you. And the only thing that will keep that from happening is you. That's it. The most important thing we can learn from Rahab. When God is at your door, willing to save you, willing to give you a future beyond anything that you ever dreamed possible. Three words. Please let him. Please let him. It should have been a simple thing. It really should. It should have just been simple. I got up that morning, went over to the bunkhouse, and I asked Antonio what we were going to do that day. And he said, well, they're going to go move some cows, but me and you got to fix a, a, a water valve that was in the trough that was in the water lot, and it was leaking, and it was running all over the place and everything. He said, yeah, we got to fix that water valve or that, the float. I was like, okay, we can do that. So we waited for the sun to come up, and we ate a couple of more homemade tortillas, and he helped me with my Spanish, and I helped him with his English and everything. And then when the sun came up, I went out and cut some wee satch for the goats and fed the goats and all of that stuff. And <laughs> I have a habit of saying, and everything like that. <laughs> I'm trying to break that, and everything like that. Uh, and so we got all that done, and so Antonio says, hey, you got to go turn off the, the, the water valve. Now, there, a, a shut-off valve on a ranch is actually a mythical creature. Shut-off valves do not actually exist. If you need to shut the water off, you have to, like, shoot down the power line pole, you know, to get just to shut the pump off or anything like that. But Antonio swore to me that there was a shut-off valve, or there used to be. <laughs> And he told me, he said, just walk down the fence line and, and then go through the gate and then go around and go through the other gate. He said, don't step over the fence. All right, whatever, dude. So I'm walking down this fence line and I walk like a quarter of a mile or something like that. And I'm walking. Doo -doo 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 -doo. And if you can picture, if you will, y'all are in pasture B. It's a big old pasture. And this is the fence line right here. There's not a, all I have to do is go right over there, but there's not a gate where I can go over there. I got to go through this gate and then that gate. There's two gates side by side. And I thought, that is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And in the back of my mind, I can hear Antonio saying, don't step over the barbed wire. Oh man, we're busy. Let's get this thing done and everything like that. And I would like to say that subconsciously I noticed something and I wish it would have been consciously because I decided to take a shortcut and I decided to go over the barbed wire fence and I put my leg over and I pushed it down and my legs weren't quite long enough and the barbed wire was pretty tight because it was right there by the corner post and I'll tell you what happened next week. God, we thank you for your message. God, let us learn from a Canaanite prostitute's life. God, my prayer today is simple. 
that people recognize your power and your promise that God doesn't want anything from you except to believe in him so that he can take care of us and he can provide for us and so that he can love us. It's all his doing and it's none of ours. We just come to him like a child comes to a dad. And dad, we come to you right now and I just hope that the Holy Spirit has spoken to somebody today. I know he has. That's just been right there on the edge. Just like the Israelites were on the edge of the promised land. Just right there on the edge. Just kind of scared to take over, take that last step and go all in. But God, I promise if they'll just do that, they'll know your grace and your mercy and your provision and your love. God, lay it on their hearts to not leave here today or not turn it off or not get away from their computer or turn off the radio, but to just go ahead and go all in and have their lives changed forever. Thank you, Dad, for sending your son. Amen.